Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ball knocked down by Mount, picked up by Shackelford, into Alcindor, two more for the Bruins. Cheryl Miller, beautiful 15-foot jumper. Patrick wants to go baseline, sends it inside to Miller. And Miller tries to put a little reverse in, but what a shot by Reggie Miller. Underneath, Harold driving, reverse lay in, that's it. 15 points, he's reached the 2,000 plateau. Bibby, three more, he's six of them Saturday. He continues to sizzle. But who has it? There it is. Get time. Get time. Here's Hannah Jump, three-point specialist. And there is Sabrina Ionescu with the rebound. She has just become the first player in Division I history with 2,000 points, 1,000 assists, and 1,000 rebounds. A historic mark set by Sabrina Ionescu. Starts fading away. into Believe in Pac-12 Basketball here on the Believe Podcast Network. Well, we got episode one down and we are back for our second along with former Oregon State baller, three-point record holder, just overall talented man, was a phenomenal soccer player too, if you remember that from our first podcast. His mom wanted him to play the world's game and I got to say, Ahmad, being Italian, I'm not really opposed to that, but we can get into that on a later show. He's Ahmad Starks. I am Sun Devil alum Michael Caratanudo. And yes, we are here for Believe in Pac-12 Basketball. As the pandemic's still going on, we hit recruiting last time. Ahmad's recruiting. The challenges of obviously being recruited or coaches recruiting during a pandemic. But we are, we are back. Ahmad, great to see you, obviously. And uh, this week, though, we got a treat for everybody. You uh, we were throwing ideas out there, and you came up with we came up with father son. I even look for father daughters, but there's so many father son duos that we're actually gonna have to split up father daughter duos because there is a ton um, in the Pac-10. Well, the old school Pac-8 into the Pac-10, and now the Pac-12 as it is. But that is what we are gonna be touching on. But uh, how how was your uh, how's your week? Is are you still practicing your jump shot and your ball handling during this? pandemic is what I think our fans want to know. I am welcome back everyone first uh, first and foremost but I'm in the gym every day I'm touching the basketball every day uh, we haven't talked about it much but right now I'm a professional basketball trainer so I'm training kids from seven eight years old all the way up into all the way up to pros so I had a I had a group of pros earlier today in the gym and so I, I love it. I'm still around the game every day, and I get my shots up. Sometimes I get in the drills when they're, you know, elite players. I get in it with them and still do the things because I can – I still show them, hey, you, you're missing too many shots. I can do this with my eyes closed. So, <laughs> so I still got to show them that I can do it, and that's a luxury that I have. Um, 
And so it's still fun just being on the court every single day. I actually have a beaver ball, Nike ball, um, from my state, my days at Oregon State that I shoot around with a lot. That's a very, very stylish, stylish ball. I'm going to have to say on that, but that's good. But let's, let's dive into it though. Father, son combos that played within the conference. And a lot of them have won championships, been first team, all Americans, all pack eight, pack 10, um, some pack 12. Um, but we're going to, we're going to jump in. And I thought, well, when I was looking the first and the first one, I thought of right away, kind of going in a alphabetical order, but Henry Bibby, uh, who coached actually at USC, his rival, but played at UCLA from 69 to 72. And his son, Mike Bibby, who played high school ball here in Arizona, won state championships at Shadow Mountain, and then went to U of A and won a national title as well. Just some quick notes I had on Henry Bibby. He was three for three at UCLA with national titles, and they were titles six, seven, and eight for John Wooden because, yeah, everybody's heard of the Wizard of Westwood. Um, in 71-72, which was Bill Walton's first year. Actually, it's so crazy because when, when I was reading this, Ahmad, his first year on varsity because in college back then, a lot of times freshmen couldn't play. So there was the varsity team and the B team, which is crazy. Yeah, that's wild to me. I can't imagine it. I know. And uh, so, but in 71-72, Henry Bibby was a part of the team. They went 30-0, and and he played alongside Bill Walton. He was a first-team All-American uh, second his senior year, his first-team All-American, second-team All-Pack-8, and he won the 73 championships. I was telling you this before we started. It was crazy. So he leaves UCLA, gets drafted by the Knicks. He wins the 73 championship with the Knicks. So he won four titles in a row. So in a span of uh, – what, four years, he had uh, most of his hand blinged up with rings. And then you fast forward to Mike, like I said, who won state championships in, here in Arizona at Shadow Mountain High School uh, as a player. Side note, also as a coach, he coached his son, and they had won like four out of five or five out of six championships when Mike Bibby was coaching there. And he averaged um, his uh, – he, he helped bring U of A its first national title, as uh, people here – in our in the opening, you can hear that shot where uh, he just buries a three, and he was just uh, he was the missing piece for them. Uh, but he averaged uh, as a freshman, he averaged thirteen and a half points a game. A mod comes in like it's nothing. Five point two assists, three point two rebounds, two point two steals. He was the Pac-10 Freshman of the Year, and then he was a first team All American and Pac-10 Player of the Year as a sophomore. And but he also him and his dad obviously also share winning a title and man I mean you talk about and I know him and his father didn't have the uh, best of relationships um, in high school because he committed to U of A early like I think maybe kind of like you I think maybe is by the end of his sophomore year and um, his dad like I said Henry was coaching at USC at the time but yeah Mike went down to Tucson and uh, brought uh, the Wildcats their first national title interesting and like like you said kind of like we we kind of sometimes like your dad has a vision but then you you kind of want to do certain things so you can clash and it's uh it can be a lot but I'm, I'm hoping I think they're on better terms these days um but I did hear that as well and me and my father bumped heads as well so I understand completely you know how that can go but uh you just you hope all the best you know it turns around in, the, in a good favor for them you saw Bibby play in the NBA. I mean, did you ever, did you see him play at Arizona at all? 
when he was there for those two years? I've seen highlights of that, um, but not not uh, not official game. But I do I do remember the Sacramento Kings versus the Lakers. Lakers is my favorite team. Lakers has always been my favorite team. Uh, what? You're in Chicago? How could you do that? Still to this day, I didn't. I never saw Michael Jordan play, or I can't remember. So um, that was, you know, his last championship. I wasn't even six years old yet. So it's like. Other than that, the Bulls sucked. <laughs> wait, wait, before, let me say this first and foremost, before Derrick Rose comes along, who is everything to me, and that will, that's a, to- a whole other topic, but Derrick was amazing, is amazing, um, Chicago kid, so he, he turned some things around um, for the Bulls, but outside of that, the Bulls were terrible, so, you know, I was just never a fan. I was always a Kobe Shaq fan, um, a Lakers fan, so... They had some great battles with Sacramento. Mike Bibby was a, a great point guard. He could shoot it, score, but a great facilitator, you know, with all those, with all the talented guys around him. He just understood the game, great IQ. Um, he just ran across, you know, one of the best teams in history. <laughs> so without that, without le- going against the Lakers, they probably, whoever wins that West probably wins the title. So, you know, it's, uh, so he just got, got a bad, bad draw on that one. Yeah, no, I mean, he was, yeah, just when he went pro, and I remember even in high school watching him play. I don't know if it was his junior year, or maybe senior year, but he had a, his tattoo on his calf, and it was a basketball, but it in letters it said NBA on it. So he uh, he he had goals and visions of where he was going. But yeah, just to see him that freshman year, I mean, at U of A when they won the title. I know people talk about uh, Miles Simon, obviously Jason Terry, but you talk about the. The, the, the way he handled the rock, as you guys say, I mean, and being a facilitator, but just lighting it up from the three-point line. Um, and, I mean, I saw videos, looked at, like, highlights of his dad. And, yeah, I mean, Henry, obviously, you could tell <laughs> the basketball uh, gene and IQ didn't uh, – didn't, uh, it did travel over to Mike. and But, yeah, I mean, just the, the amount of championships, and I know – um, when he was there in, like you said, in Sacramento playing with uh, those teams, that was some great battles. But even at U of A, I remember watching him obviously come up here playing ASU and just – you stay within the game, but he always wanted to put on a show here in Tempe because just to let everybody know, I mean, there was no way he was going to come to ASU back then, especially with – like we talked about last episode, the guards that Lute Olsen got. But still three championships. His dad had three in a row well, in college and then one with the Knicks, so four in a row – his uh, sophomore year, they get back to the tournament, but they're not able to uh, defend the title. But, yeah, that's a, that's, that's a heck of a uh, father-son combo to start off with. Our next combo that I saw was uh, Marquez Johnson and Chris Johnson, and they both played for UCLA. Marquez's father, 73 to 77, and then Chris played from 94 to 98. They're the only father-son duo on this list to win a national title at the same school. So that's, yeah, that's very cool. Family, uh, family bonding, I guess, father, son bonding on that one. No, that that's, that's next level. I, uh, when I was at Oregon state, Marcus Johnson was, he was a commentator when I was at, uh, when I was there. So he would come a lot of games. I would see him at like at some of the games and also like a Pac-10 tournament, Pac-12 tournament. And he said he really liked my game. I reminded him of 
you know, uh, Tawan Porter, uh, from a little guy from Oregon. So he gave me big kudos, and I remember hearing how great of a player he was in the league and uh, just hearing stories about him. And I still see him, like, on social media posting dunks at, like, he's 60, 65, and still dunk. I, keep, I see that every few years. So I think he does it, like, once a year. Um, just to get up there and dunk. So it's, it's crazy. You can just see the athleticism and skill that he had. Yeah, he won the national uh, title as a sophomore, and that was the last, again, for UCLA under John Wooden. Uh, he was a national player of the year, Pac-8 player of the year, while being both a consensus first-team All-American and first-team All-Pac-8 selection. So, yeah, I remember seeing highlights. It's crazy. I, now I need to go look for that, him dunking at a – an advanced or a seasoned age, as I'm sure he would like us to say. Seasoned, seasoned. Yes, exactly. And then Chris Johnson, his son, won a national title in 95 at UCLA. That was their last one. And as a freshman, I mean, pretty good. You got to like that. But he was the fourth leading scorer, averaging 12 and a half points a game. So he kept the, uh, obviously, the family tradition going there by going to UCLA and brings home, again, as a freshman, another national title for the Bruins. Super big time to be able to do that. Same things your father did at the same school. Like, she was a proud moment for dad, for sure. Oh, no, yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, we get – and, well, obviously, as this goes on, we'll talk about – I know you had mentioned, obviously, you know, what it means to go somewhere your dad played, but maybe even him coaching. And if when you go there, you obviously, as a competitor, want to live up to the same thing. And speaking of living up, this may have – this I think probably as I look through the list – uh, the toughest maybe to live up to both in conference, Bill Walton, obviously UCLA 71 to 74 and Luke Walton went to Arizona. So same thing as Mike Bibby, a UCLA dad and a U of a son. Um, and Walton, Bill Luke was a U of a from 99 to 2003, but Bill was a three time Ahmad national player of the year. Let that sink in for everybody listening three times. Two-time Final Four Most Outstanding Player on the 72 and 73 National Championship teams. His first year of varsity, I, had to write it, I wrote it down that way so I'd remember as a sophomore, he averaged 21.1 points, 15.5 boards, and he never averaged fewer than 19 points and 14 rebounds uh, per game in a season after Ahmad. Uh, he also, his, uh, as a senior, decided he was going to work on his, uh, his dimes, had 5.5 assists per game, and he shot 65% from the field from his, for his career. Um, I know people, again, we, it was Lou Alcindor, but Kareem, you go back to all-time UCLA greats, and it's, it's tough to rank them, but I know a lot put uh, Bill Walton up there. I mean, next to Kareem, either way, you, you really can't go wrong. I say I would say Bill is right after Kareem, if I if I had to say so. Oh yeah, yeah, no, he was yeah Kareem obviously there in the late '60s. Yeah, he he had left, and then Bill Walton came in. No, oh, yeah, yeah, I would just say like that's my one too. Like Kareem first. Oh yeah, was the best, and then Bill right after. I would say. Whew, man, there's a lot of UCLA. Uh, <laughs> We could we could probably do not. I'm not even saying one. We could probably do two shows on the all-time UCLA players. But I've seen so many videos. I know obviously he won an NBA title up in Portland, and you know the hair and the, the crazy you know headband and the long hair. 
but yeah, Bill Walton again, just dominating at UCLA and Luke had, you know, had a very solid career led to the NBA, but at U of A, uh, he started as an upperclassman. Uh, he was coming off the bench his first two years, but as a junior uh, average of most points he did in a season, 15.7 points per game, 7.3 rebounds, 6.3 assists. He was a two-time first team, all pack 10 selection and a sporting news, second team, all American as a junior. Uh, and he was uh, at U of A from 99 to 03. Bill, obviously, like I said, at UCLA from 71 to 74. But for Luke, I mean, those teams that Lute Olsen had, they were always in the mix. And I know, again, all kidding aside, trash talking as much as I like to pick on U of A, as you know, Ahmad, I kind of, they were always, we always called them the one and done in the tournaments. But Lute Olsen had taken them to like 25, 27 straight NCAA tournaments. They were always there. And then when they, if they did get past the first round, that's when, of course, as Sun Devil fans, you're like, oh, oh no. I think in 97 when they won, they beat, what, two number twos and I think and then a number one and a number four. Like, it was crazy. They beat all these high-ranked teams who have did. And it's like, as a Sun Devil fan, you're like, oh, they're going to do it. And it's – but, yeah, when they weren't one and done, I mean, Luke Walton was on some of those teams that I thought, especially his, his junior and actually his senior year, I thought, I'm like, they have a really good shot to uh to win it all what was the year they won was oh one they lost they won in 97 with bibby that's the only one they won they went back in oh one when he was yeah that was and they lost um duke yes you're right because richard jefferson says how much he hates duke because of that loss and that's where gilbert arenas in the championship game went like four for 18 his worst game of the year it was in the national title game and that dude had balled out Gilbert Arenas had balled out like all year long and he was four for 18 and yeah, Richard Jefferson was on. Yeah. That, that's why I was going to thank you. That Oh one team. I thought that Walton was on. I was like, man, they, with Jefferson and Arenas, I mean, that guy, I mean, literally he, he, he barely stepped off the bus and he was draining shots. I mean, it was ridiculous. That was a great team. I remember another Arizona let down. You're probably happy to hear this one. Um, in 05, um, U of I beat, came down from, came back from like 15 down against U of A in the Elite Eight. And I'm a kid watching D Brown, Luther Head, Darren Williams. They were phenomenal in college. Um, only lost two games that year. And they, they're down 15 with like three minutes left. It's a crazy Illinois story. You know, I, was, I went to Illinois my last year, so I heard all, of, hear all about it and come down for 15 with three minutes left and beat Arizona to go to the Final Four. So it was just incredible. So I know ASU fans are probably happy that day. But <laughs> I remember that because I'm like, wow, you're right. With the, like Darren Williams, I was like, this Illini team, man, they're for real. I'm like, oh, U of A, they're U of A. I mean, they'll, they'll be okay, but the Illini should die. And then they were up by 15. I was like, yeah, never mind. I'm like, they're just going to run them out. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, what? What? But, yeah, no. But Luke Walton, again, he had a very – obviously went into the NBA. had a had a uh, He picked up a ring, obviously, with the Lakers on the Kobe Shaq team. And uh, it's a, obviously a very solid college and professional career for – obviously a little bit longer professional career for Bill, but Luke getting into coaching and – Side note on Luke, he he should do 
he probably should do uh, radio because he has got like the deepest voice, like just naturally. It's just crazy when he I hear him do interviews. I'm like, is he just trying to like put a interview voice on? But no, that's just Luke Walton. Um, but yeah, I mean, so again, yeah, so much talent. But we're gonna roll on. Our next is Stan Love, who was sorry, sorry, Mont. He was a duck. He was at Oregon from '68 to '71, and then his son Kevin. One year, Kevin Love at UCLA, 07 to 08. They both averaged, even though, yes, it's only one year for Kevin Love, but still, they both averaged a career double-double in the Pac-8 and Pac-10. So that is awesome. And then uh, for Stan, three seasons on varsity. uh, It got better every year. Ahmad, 17.8 points per game as a sophomore, up to 20.8 as a junior, as a senior, 24.6 points per game. He was a two-time first-team All-Pac-8 his last uh, uh, two seasons. And then his sophomore season, he was second-team All-Pac-8. And then, what can you say, Kevin Love was a freak. I mean, I know we talked a little bit about him and his AAU team in our first episode, but 17.5 points per game, 10.6 rebounds, 1.9 assists, 1.4 blocks. Oh, and by the way, at 6'9", he shoots 35% from behind the arc in college, 61% from inside, inside the arc. He was the Pac-10 player of the year as a freshman and the consensus first team All-American. But obviously you saw, you saw Kevin Love play. When, when you saw him on a court, I mean, you see it. And to me, it was always his outlet passing. And I know that got talked about so much, but I could just turn the volume down and just watch him play because the second he snapped the rebound and turned, I mean – it was a two-handed, you know, 50-foot pass with, like, some zing on it every time. He's 6'9", 6'10", not, a, not skinny, you know, uh, not so that, that's a big body. But he's so strong and can shoot it, pass it. Those outlet passes were amazing, has a great IQ. Then he's, like, he's – then he's, he, tra- he brought that rebounding from UCLA to the NBA. It, it's, it's faded off now as, as he's gotten older. And, you know, different responsibilities. But I actually thought the Cavs would have been better if he brought that same rebounding intensity from Minnesota to the Cavs. But that's here or there. I'm glad they got a ring. I was, a, I was rooting for them. LeBron, Kyrie, uh, Kevin Love, they should have two at least. Um, if they didn't get hurt the first round, that's just my opinion. That first run, that's my opinion. Um, but no, big Kevin Love fan from AAU, UCLA, all that. They, you know, they may have had a national title, but they did uh, actually they probably would have lost. But you never know. They did run against uh, Derrick Rose in, in Memphis uh, in that Final Four. Um, Derrick Rose Memphis team in, in the Final Four that Kevin Love's freshman year. So, uh, like I said, Derrick Rose was phenomenal. So, but Kevin, Kevin Love was everything. He was he was very impressive. Yeah, no, I mean I remember seeing him come through Tempe and <laughs> I was just like, yeah, this guy's not sticking around next year. I mean, I heard, uh, you see the, you see him on TV, and, you know, announcers pumping him up, but it's like, this guy's not sticking around next year. I mean, anybody that can do that is absolutely unbelievable. Uh, and it's just one of those things where, where when I watched him play, it's just it, even the IQ is like, I don't know, everybody throws it around a lot and you say, oh, they're basketball IQ. But I mean, for like you said, a big man, and I know obviously big men have changed with wings. You know, you have guys 
like, you know, a Dirk Nowinski, but, you know, 6'9", 6'10", you know, 6'11", like KD, just chucking these threes and, you know, just great form. But his his whole – like, his, just his IQ about everything was – again, he was – it was unbelievable to see play. And then seeing, obviously, what his dad was able to do makes sense that uh, he was going to be – I mean, his dad was, what, 6'8", 6'7", 6'8". So, the height uh, wasn't going to be a problem there for him. But, he, yeah, the way he played it was just uh, absolutely awesome. But the next one, the next one we have now, they both play college ball, father, son, but the caveat is they both didn't play in the Pac-12, although Steve Alford played at Indiana 83 to 87. His son Bryce at UCLA from 13 to 17, but played for his dad at UCLA. But Steve Alford, I mean, back in the back in the heyday of uh, Bobby Knight and IU basketball, he was he was at insane shooter he led them to their last national title uh in 87 he was a leading scorer Lamont 22 points a game uh he played one year that and the 87 was the first year the three-point line came in and he shot 53 percent for the season from behind the arc Amad. 53 percent he averaged 5.9 attempts per game but Amad, he hit 107 out of 202 and that was in one year. So could you imagine if Offer would have got to play with, you know, back then with three years of a three-point line? Whew, that's insane. But, yeah, he started 120 of 125 games at IU. Uh, he was a two-time consensus first-team All-American, three-time first-team All-Big Ten, Big Ten MVP in 87. And, yeah, like I said, brought Indiana the national title. And I just remember being really young when my parents had friends from Indiana and when they won, and I just remember even years later when they would show up, but just going back and looking at Steve Alford's shoot as a defender, Ahmad, I know this would have, I mean, you probably go back and you can see his highlights on YouTube, but if you go look at his highlights on YouTube, Ahmad, like you'd be right in his face. You play the perfect defense. You just square up and bury it like you're invisible. I mean, and I know as a defender, okay, it happens once. All right, tip your cap. It happens twice, but when it happens like four or five times, you're like, I'm, I, there's nothing else I can do. Being at being on the floor and, and seeing that happen to you, it's happened to me a few times. Sometimes, and I've done it to a lot of people. It's just very frustrating. Like you've done, you did all you could do. Um, so it's it's crazy. Yeah, and that is very uh, very frustrating. Now his son Bryce, he started just once as a freshman, but started all 104 games from his sophomore to senior year. He was the same way from the three point line. Not 53%, but still a very solid 39.7% from behind the arc uh, for his career. He was an 82.5% free throw shooter, but he averaged, it was crazy. This is, this is a little twilight zone, Amon. They both averaged 5.9 three-point attempts per game in their career. Bryce did that too. He was a first-team All-Pac-12 as a senior, and he was on the All-Freshman team in 2014. The crazy thing about Steve, he was 8-2 in the NCAA tournament with Indiana in the national title game. I wanted to save this for last tomorrow because I know you're a, obviously a three-point sharpshooter. In the national title game against Syracuse in 87, seven for 10 from behind the arc. That is, that is a very, very uh, insane game. And, but yeah, I mean, look at the, obviously you saw, I know Bryce, in UCLA, I know a lot of times towards uh, the end of Alford's run, they got a little, People were UCLA faithful, of course, since John Wooden. I mean, everybody gets impatient. 
And then you win the one title, what was that, with Steve Lavin, I want to say, in 95. And then it's been uh, – they went back to the title game, I know, and they lost to Florida when Florida went back-to-back with uh, Billy Donovan. Um, but, yeah, I mean, to play for your dad, though, and knowing, again, you're, you're a three-point shooter. Obviously, you're a guard. You're a sharpshooter. But that still had to be pretty cool. I mean, I know you want to coach – you got to coach everybody the same, but when you step back and take a breath, I got to think for Steve Alford, it was, it was pretty awesome watching his son Bryce accomplish that. Yeah, winning a national title together would have been even better for him, but I mean, just to see him accomplish that and coaching, that, that's got to be a pretty awesome feeling. No, I'm sure it is. I'm, I'm glad they got to experience that. Well, no, I was going to say, did you see, uh, I mean, obviously you've been doing your, doing your thing, but I mean, with the, with, seeing what UCLA did, I mean, even under Alford, I mean, because they got, I know, picked on a lot for getting in the tournament, kind of being underachievers with what Alford have, especially, look, I take the UCLA faithful out of it because, of course, your fan base is always going to crush everything. The Fanatics are going to do that. But, I mean, did you see those UCLA teams when Steve was coaching them? Uh, Yeah, I saw, I I caught a few of them. Um, I watched the game when Oregon State played at UCLA. Um, the year Oregon State made it back to the tournament. I caught that one. I caught some when there was Lonzo Ball. Those times, you know, all the hype was around Lonzo and different things like that. So it was uh, – I caught some of those games. Like you said, they – you know, you would, the, the, you would pinpoint that they underachieved. Um, that, that was a lot of the speculation going around. That was a lot of the thoughts that they underachieved. They had all, all this talent. They underachieved. But, you know, it, it happens. And you, you you win some, you lose some. So it happens. Other teams have great talent as well. And sometimes a lot of talent doesn't always mean it's going to click together. So it's just, you just never really know. That's true. And it's, it always takes, to win a title, you always hear, yes, you have to be good. But at the same time, it's one of those things where you look at it and it's like, you need a little bit of luck. You definitely need a little bit of luck. Um, Yes, to get the talent's got to be there, but at the same time, I just kind of look at it and I'm like, "Are you kidding me? Like, you can't not get a call or not get something to roll your way." And sometimes, yeah, you see the most talented team, and you're like, "Wow, that team's really deep and talented. Maybe they should have went further." But it's one of those things where I look at it, I'm like, "Man, you can't look at them and be like that they they shouldn't have went further. And I think Steve Alford, I mean, sometimes fairly or unfairly, I think he got picked on, but at times I'm like, if you're in Westwood, I know it's been since 95, but that's the thing. You're not going to be there too long if you're not competing for titles. Well, now we have, this is interesting. This is very interesting because it's father son duos, obviously. And some played in the PAC 12 and others didn't like we have um, Clay and Michael Thompson. Obviously, Michael Thompson won championships with the Lakers. Very, you know, solid player. Definitely not the shooter his son is. I mean, his son probably got the love for basketball from him. But, man, Michael Thompson wasn't bad, but he does not have Clay's uniform. And then Clay, obviously playing up at Washington State, which I've heard him talk about it a little bit. I was surprised that Clay Thompson ended up at Washington State. Because, I mean, AAU-wise, he had a heck of an AAU career. I mean, I know they look at high school and stuff like that, too, which they should. But, man, I just – I was just shocked because I don't know. 
how again nothing and it's nothing against Washington State I just saw what he did AAU wise how a little surprised he didn't end up at UCLA with Kevin Love that's what I was a little surprised about sometimes I'm I can I'm pretty sure they thought he was good at the time and so I don't know what his offers were his interests were it was at the time but um, you know, sometimes it's better to stray away from those type of schools. And so where, whereas you can go somewhere and shine and, you know, have, do your time and, you know, excel and then get out of there if that's the type of player you are. But no matter what caliber player you are, you want to go where the opportunity is there for you. I was going to say real quick, Michael Thompson was at, I forgot to mention Minnesota from uh, 74 to 78. Uh, he finished eight points shy of 2000, which we talked about a little bit for his career. He averaged at least 22 points per game in his final three seasons, including a career-high 25.9 points and 12.5 rebounds per game as a sophomore. Uh, he was an efficient shooter. Fifth, well, okay, 56.7% of his shots in college, including over 60% as a junior, but again, no three-point line. And then uh, consensus first-team All-American as a senior, and he later had his number 43 jersey retired by Minnesota. Uh, he was a really good player. Uh, number one pick. Yeah, number one pick um, with the Lakers. I remember hearing about all that, and I didn't know. I didn't know Clay when I was coming in, so I got to play against Clay my freshman year. Um, I didn't know who he was. I remember my coach Craig Robinson talking about, "Hey," um, he was like, "They say this guy's a lottery pick." He was like, "We're gonna find out." What did you find out? What What happened? We were two and zero. We started out the pack two and zero. As I mentioned, my freshman year, as I mentioned, my first win was against ASU. Um, and then we beat AZ at home. Uh, we have Derek Williams at the, on the team at the time. Um, so we're going to Spokane. We're, we're, on, we're on our high horse. You know, we're going to Spokane. Um, hearing about Clay, um, coach is like, you know, they said he's going to be a pro, so we're going to find out. And we found out short, soon enough. He had like 30 right off the gate. He was just hitting everything. Um, and I'm like, man, I, he has nice size on him. Shoot the cover off the ball. So it was super, super crazy to see, to see that. Um, you know, he was one that kind of, kind of dunked on me a little bit. If I'm not mistaken, I probably moved, I moved out the way more so than anything, but it was the same type of feeling, but uh, it was, it was, it was crazy. So it was just, that was my first, first impression of Clay was off the chain. Yeah, living up to the hype. And then, well, and that's what I was seeing too. So 30 years after his dad left Minnesota, Clay enrolled at Washington State where he started every game as a freshman. So that's why Coach Rob telling you that as a, a lottery pick, he averaged 12 and a half points per game. His scoring average took a significant jump as a sophomore to 19.6 per game. Then he averaged 21.6 as a junior, along with 5.2 rebounds, 3.7 assists, and 1.6 steals. Uh, for Coach Tony Bennett. Thompson was a first-team All-Pac-10 selection as a sophomore and junior, and his number one jersey was retired by the school. Um, didn't get his father's six-foot-10 frame, but he was also a good shooter, making 39% of his three-pointers in college and 82.7% of his free throws. And, yeah, I remember actually, I want to say it was in, yeah, the two, his sophomore season uh, when they came here. And I don't remember how many he had a mod, but man, I remember watching him because I had I started people were like, it's like oh Michael Thompson's son. I'm like wow he's six six. I'm like huh, yeah he hit like a few shots and I was like 
why is this dude still here? It's like, he, he needs to go to an NBA team, like, before we play them up there. I'm like, come on, man. Clay was amazing. But you're right. I mean, I could see that in Michael Thompson's game. Again, being 6'10", but just with the Lakers, I mean, when he got it, when he went to the Lakers, just that mid-range jumper for a guy of 6'10", hitting, you know, 13, 15, 17 feet out. I'm like, man, I'm like, he's got obviously good range. And for then, you're like, wow, 6'10", you know. Yeah, he wasn't stepping out to the three-point line. But when you have Michael Cooper and Byron Scott, there's no reason for you to step out there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Clay – and the crazy thing about Clay, too, I mean, I know he's done it he – he scored what? I mean, I know he scored over 60 with the um, Warriors, but they showed a few times a month, like, his dribble chart. Like, he literally dribbled the ball, I want to say, it was less than 20 times, and he scored 60 points. No, it was definitely less than 20 times. I thought it was way less. Yeah, I think it was like 12. I think it was like 12 times. He had 12 or 13 dribbles for the game, yet he had he had scored 60 points. I mean, as a pro, but yeah, you could see it in college uh, that that it was uh, it was definitely coming. Next, though, we have a very very cool one. This is this is very. I told you this is crazy for me because he's got a lot of sons that uh, that that have played college basketball. And that is Rick Barry. So he had his son, Scooter, John, Brent, and Drew. <laughs> so you talk about a love for basketball. I'm just going to state the over obvious out there for our listeners here, Ahmad, because so Rick Barry played at Miami and then uh, Brent played at Oregon State. Uh, John played at Pacific and then transferred to Georgia Tech. Scooter played at Kansas and Drew played at Georgia Tech as well. So they have pretty much the whole country covered, a very talented family. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Rick Barry ranks 172nd all-time in career scoring, playing just three seasons of varsity basketball and only 77 games. Um, a career average of 29.8 points a game, Ahmad. I don't care. I mean, he was there from uh, 62 to 65. So, again, I mean, you're playing at Miami when – Obviously, UCLA is starting to have their dominance, but still 29.8 points per game at Miami. As a senior, he averaged 37.4 points per game and 18.3 rebounds per game. Um, and the Hurricanes went 65 and 16 in three seasons, uh, but Barry never played in the NCAA tournament. In fact, Miami had only made the NCAA tournament one time before the 97-98 season. That's insane. That's just crazy, but it's not so much – so many family ties that play, they play, they, a lot of them play in the NBA or high level college. So it's just kudos to that family though. Oh yeah, absolutely. So that's the uh, berries. Now we got to get to your guys. Got to get to your, 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 your school, your Oregon state alive is confusing them. I know I thought, I thought Ahmad was going to start throwing stuff at me from uh, across the computer screen. Cause Gary Payton and his son, both, going to Oregon State and man I mean Gary Payton obviously a very very solid solid player more better than solid well yes absolutely I mean they call him the glove I know you know 6-4 and he was one of those guys that you really didn't want to play against I think he averaged he averaged over like 18 points a game um I think for his career at Oregon State 
I think he averaged 25 one year or something like that, or close to it, um, if I'm not mistaken. He was so fun to watch. And, again, you talk about – and you said it the best on our, uh, our, la- our first show about the guards that have just come through the, Pac- the Pac-10, Pac-12. I mean, I just think about somebody like, you know, Jason Kidd, who was at Cal, who was ridiculous. I mean, you go back and look at, uh, look at him and what he was – how he handled the ball. May have not been the uh, – the best shooter, but I'll tell you right now, Ma, there's not too many people that, uh, yeah, he averaged 20. Gary Payton, by the way, averaged 25.7 points a game his senior year. He went from 12 and a half to 14 and a half uh, to 20 and then 25.7. So average 18.1 for, uh, for his career. But yeah, I mean, man, listening to him, that guy, I mean, he's dribbling, he's playing defense, he's talking, he's barking out things, and he's just talking trash the whole time. I mean, I loved watching Gary Payton play. And I think it was it was his sophomore year, actually. Um, or no, I take that back. It was his senior year that I got to see him play here. And I'm like, yeah, this, this guy is going to be a complete menace. No, he was. So he was just a dog, and it was, it was exciting exciting to see like all the old games that I've watched on him um all the highlights are incredible just him his interviews and stuff like that are are hilarious sometimes and um his cameo in the last dance was great um against Michael Jordan and things like that so that was that was unreal and then talking talking to him about his battles against Michael Jordan when he comes to our Oregon State games and things like that um and just his time there and his mentality was great. And then to see his son come after and do some great things at Oregon State, take him back to the tournament from the first time since he was since yeah, since he had been there, I believe. And he didn't make it when I was there. So he did some great things. He led them. He's a he's a great player in his own right as well. But when you look at his son, I mean, son named after him, obviously Gary Payton, the second six foot three guard. I mean, but how tough is that? Because you said he would come to Oregon State games when you were playing there. What was it like to play in front? First, what was it like to play in front of Gary Payton? Um, I mean, it was great just to have him come back. Like him and AC Green would come to certain games, and um, it, it was just phenomenal to have just to have that support and to have them come watch and talk to us and um, basically hyping you up on the sideline. My my favorite memories are when they came to the Pac-12 tournament, and we were putting on a show. Um, we were going, we were like, man, we'd be like Washington, Washington State. We're like moving along. I always lost to Arizona, so I hate that. Um, and in the tournament, I always lost there. Couldn't get past them. But we would do well <laughs> up until that point. And so it was just, it was just great having him around to just talk to him and kind of learn from him a little bit and him talking trash, pumping you up and everything. So it was, it was always good. Yeah, Gary Payton never uh... – never shied away from uh, talking trash. And when you play defense like he did, and obviously you can handle the ball, but on the defensive end, you can play like that. You can talk all the trash you want. But when you talk about, I mean, like fathers and sons, I mean, like you said, you played with Michael Jordan's son. It was Marcus, right? Yeah, Marcus. With Marcus, yeah. So, and Michael Jordan obviously would come to the games, but when when you're playing with these, when they're playing in front of their dads, I mean, and you had mentioned to me, obviously, before, like, LeBron and his son and then Shaq, obviously, and his son. I mean, obviously, Kobe Bryant, I mean, had daughters, and Gianna was 
an amazing player from everything we saw and what, but when you're in that case, so when my, I mean, Michael Jordan's around LeBron's, you know, around your dad coached you, what's that pressure like, even though they're probably not putting it on their kids, but the kids is of course, as you get older and you're more aware, you know what they did, you're probably more apt to want to, you put your own pressure on yourself, but what, what was that like when, I mean, Michael Jordan's around, how, how did Marcus stay calm? But it, it's, it's, but it's like, see, you're thinking it of, you know, that's Michael Jordan. That's, that's my dad. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's my dad. So it's no pressure on that standpoint at all. Like that's dad. Um, like it's, it's just like my father come to see me play from their point of view. There's no pressure from that standpoint. You might feel like, Oh man, like trying to, you got to try to live up to it sometimes or the media is just, um, we had a lot of media attention in high school. So it's like, can you live up to his dad and things like that? That's not important. Just, just go be you. And so Marcus is one of the best at that at just being him. And he was a, he was a really good player in his own right. Cause then he went and played at Illinois, right? Marcus stated. Now, um, Jeffrey played at Jeffrey Illinois. Played Illinois. Jeffrey went to Illinois. Marcus went to central Florida for three years and had a really good career. I think I don't know if he stayed four years or not, but I think he only played three. After that one, he was just kind of like, "I'm done with it." But um, but he averaged like 15 as a junior, like having a really good career. Like he would have been, you know, make good money overseas and things like that. So he was a good basketball player. But you're obviously going to be looked at because of Michael Jordan's son. You're going to be looked at as you know he he oh he and his he not his dad and da, 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 you're, he's always gonna look worse than he is if you're not like truly dissecting his game so um it was just it's just what it was so it's, it's unfair but um marcus led us to that state championship my junior year so he he was a good player on his own it's funny now that i brought that up so my, my michael jordan story is um when we were, were at the state tournament my junior year, Marcus's senior year. Um, we win the game. You play it's four, it's Final Four. So you win the first game, but when you play the next night, it's the championship. So we win. You know, we're kids. We go back to the locker room. Everybody's, like, jumping around, like, ecstatic. Everybody's going crazy, having a good time. And and Mike walks in. And he's like, um, everybody sit the fuck down. It's like, it's like he's, he's dead ass serious. There's no... It's not, it's not, he's not smiling. There's no joke. He's like, sit the fuck down. Like, what the fuck are you guys doing? Oh, it's after the semifinal game. Yeah, semifinal oh, okay. game. He's like, what the fuck are you doing? Um, you know, you haven't won shit yet. You got another game to play tomorrow. It's not over with. And so the rest of the night, Marcus is my roommate. So the rest of the night, everyone is silent, like quiet. It's just his presence and him, Michael Jordan, coming to say that to you. Like, and you felt him serious. We took that to heart. And the next night we go out and we win the championship. But just like his presence had everybody silent and focused on the task at hand. It was, we honestly missed that because the next year we kind of do the same thing and we end up losing that championship game um, for different reasons. But if maybe if we had that voice in our ear to, to calm us down and get the rest, the proper rest that we needed, we would have won that next, that next game. And so... Just his presence, man, it was just unreal just to have that voice, that 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 guy come talk to you like that. So it meant a lot to everyone. Yeah, I'm well, and the man that won six out of eight championships, back-to-back three-peats, hit the winning uh, shot as a freshman at Carolina. He would, he, yeah, it is, it is, it shouldn't even be when E.F. Hutton talks, but Michael Jordan talks, you're going to listen. And I mean, that's, 
oh, I couldn't. But yeah, I mean, uh, you're right. I mean, I look at it from man, Spike Lee's but yeah, you're right. When it's your dad, but even that aside, I mean, you know, like for somebody like Bryson, you know, Steve Alford, you know, when you're coaching, I mean, as a son, it's like, yeah, you want to be in the offense, and it's like probably so hard not to like butt heads with you. What was it like for you when your dad coached you? Uh, it was a lot. Um, it was a whole lot. I, um, at one point, I remember maybe going to my freshman year of high school, something like that. At that time, it was like, man, I don't want to play for him anymore. Uh, just because he was hard on me. But it was more so like it was almost that time to just to branch off. Um, and nothing against him. Um, it was just, you get to that point. At a certain point, you get tired of hearing your dad. You hear him at home, you're coding. And it's, it's not really anything against him. It's just that time. Right. It's just the time that it comes. And I have me training players and coaching players nowadays. I hear a lot of those parents saying the same thing. Like, he don't want to listen to me anymore. It's time for him to listen to somebody with your, your caliber of experience. And I'm like, say no more. I've been there. It's not a knock on you. It's just the time. It's just him evolving a little bit, him or her evolving a little bit. So it's just, you just need a different voice versus dad or mom. They, they still love you. They just don't want to hear you right now. Yeah, you don't want to hear that all the time. Like, you, you need a different voice. And uh, it, just, it just helps with your growth. So uh, I felt that a lot. And so you all go through it. So I'm sure as great as LeBron James is, Bronny's going to go through it too. Um, and he's a, he's a good player in his own right right now. Um, and hopefully he can keep on. He can keep getting better and get to the point where he can take those steps to the, to the next level. Um, but he's going to get tired of hearing his dad a little bit too. May not be that much, but at a certain point it's going to be like, ah, Brian's going to send him to go train with somebody else. Um, and I'm sure they, they do that now, but still, it's just, you just don't want to hear dad all the time. Oh, speaking of hearing dad all the time, I did, I did forget one. You had, uh, you had another one of the, uh, father, father, son combo from a coaching and playing standpoint at Oregon state. Who was that? Uh, it was Wayne and Trey Tinkle. Uh, yeah, coach Wayne coached, uh, well, still there. I believe he's still there coaching. And Trey, I think, just graduated. Um, but he scored a lot of points. He's probably one of all time leading scorers now. And from day one, he walked in the door, you know, playing for your dad, you know, it's a luxury. So he got to, he's a good player in his own right. I don't want to take that from him. But he obviously was, had some green light there. And he used it. And so it's going to give him a good opportunity to play professionally. And I'm sure that was a part of the setup all along, as it should be. Wayne has been there since uh, 2014 as the uh, Beavers head coach. And that's got to be fun recruiting conversations. I want to say that. Like, because I know the NCAA has things and they live in the same household. So, I mean, come on. Like, you're in high school. It's like, I mean, I know the NCAA is not going to come down, but it's like, <laughs> I don't have to worry about texting you or messaging you. So, come on. You know, you're going to, you want to come play here, you know? It's no real recruitment in that car. They're in that in that regard, they're gonna have conversations uh, throughout throughout his whole high school experience, um, just about that, and then they're gonna make the decision. Let me ask you this real quick, because in like, in Wayne and Trey's uh, case, like you're saying, but I mean, he's going to high school. Obviously, they're up there uh, in Oregon, but I mean, going to Oregon State. But if he comes by the gym and like shoots around, and like, is that like a violation? Like, I know you said that he can come in the gym in the summer, but if he did it, like, during the season. Like, if he comes to shoot with the, with the college team? Yeah. No, nah, he can do that at any time. Oh, okay. 
I just wanted to make sure because it's like, yeah, you know, come over, talk to so-and-so, get some shots up. <laughs> you don't have to listen to me, but yeah, no, that's awesome. I got to say, because we got we to gotta get wrapping this up. To rank them, cool. I don't know. It's tough for me. To me, I mean, it, like, it, it's tough to go against Luke Walton. Well, Bill Walton and Luke. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Before we, before we wrap up, I got to let you touch on your ASU people. Oh, that's right. That's right. I, I wanted to make sure. Because, yes, Eddie House, who, again, we hear his amazing 61-point performance, will live forever. Um, but Eddie House is absolutely amazing. Uh, had the 61 points in Cal. But Jalen, I think the shooting will come around because he was a very good shooter in high school and he won a few state championships for Mike Bibby at Shadow Mountain. And but defensively, ooh, he's ahead of his dad. I'll give him that. I know they play different defenses. I mean, again, but you, you want to play zone, you put him up top in a in a zone, he's gonna hammer people. But you talk about causing turnovers, tra- transition defense, taking away from transition offense. Yeah, I mean if you mix both him and his dad, you have the the greatest uh, player ever in my opinion, because, you know, his dad could score like anything. Um, Eddie House was fun to watch. I mean, and again, not that, again, he did play defense. I thought, um, obviously, having a guy like Jeff Pendergraft when he was uh, at ASU with Eddie House, I thought that definitely helped a lot, especially as Pendergraft developed down low. But, man, Eddie House could just shoot lights out. It was insane. And Jalen, again, defensively, he made his presence felt as a freshman. It was cool to talk to him after his first few games. You know, his dad there. His dad actually got to interview him after a game, a win one day, because he was doing stuff for the Pac-12 uh, analyst for the Pac-12 network. Yeah, I love watching Jalen play. What he can do, again, I'm excited. You know me. I'm excited with Bobby Hurley got. Again, hopefully everything will be safe by the time school year comes around. We can integrate athletics back if there have to be no fans, which again would absolutely be brutal, but obviously the health and we see the numbers spike again anyway in places of mod. So, but yeah, Jalen house, this kid is going to be, he's going to break, I think his dad steals record. Um, and we'll see, we'll see what he does point wise. Cause now he's got some other guys, like I said, coming in that can, that can shoot. They have other guys there that are still coming back that can shoot. Well, there's one, got one guy coming in that's, that's, that's unreal as far as high school, um, Josh Christopher. Yes. Oh, when they landed him, I was, I got, I'll be honest with you, Mod, real quick. I was, I was, I had a drink in my hand. I was doing a little bit of dancing. I'm not assuming anything, but I was doing a little bit because ASU, look, Bobby Hurley has done it and we'll get into, I know we talked, you're recruiting last time, but just in recruiting in general. And it's tough when you get in this conference with the success that obviously in Arizona's had, I mean, UCLA, okay. has always been very competitive USC um, coming up. I mean, Oregon, obviously what they've been able to do. I mean, this last year, I mean, obviously the men's and women's side with the ducks is just insane, but that being said, but yeah, no, it's one of those things where um, with Josh Christopher though, I mean, you got to, I mean, they're going to spread the floor. It's going to help jail. I mean, he gets that going too, but, you forget it defensively. He's he's gonna lock guard. He's gonna frustrate guards. They're not gonna be getting shots up in uh, in his face, thinking they're gonna go down. Maybe you still could. I'm not gonna say you couldn't, Ahmad. But I'm just saying, Jalen. Yeah, Eddie House and Jalen House. Oh, if James Harden has a son, I better send him to ASU too. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think Jalen. Again, a lot of these that we said. I mean, it's they have played, but already played. I, but I man. 
it's tough for me. I mean, Mark is Johnson too. Like I said, I would look at those old highlights and man, I mean, but Chris, like not obviously again, tough to live up to that. But if I had to rank the number one of all of what we said, as much as it pains me, I'd probably go with Henry and Mike Bibby. Cause I mean, Henry at the UCLA too. I mean, you're averaging, you go 30, you know, on an undefeated national title team, man. And what Mike did at U of A, I mean, they could have, they should have went back to back. I know his sophomore year, they got bounced, I think in the sweet 16. If I recall right, I'll look that up for the next show, but that's my number one. What about you? It's really tough. I mean, I wish I could see some of it, but like you, you can't. Henry and Mike are definitely up there. Numbers wise, I think I think Stan and Kevin Love were like unreal as far as just their numbers individually. I forget what what Stan did. They both averaged a career uh, a career double double. Yeah, I forget the team accolades um, for Stan. But I know Kevin Love made a final floor, a bunch of personal accolades, and those numbers between both are unreal. So, for me, it's one of those two. Um, I would say Stan and Kevin Love or Henry and Mike Bibby. Now, if if Luke, if U of A would have won in 2001, I probably would have went Bill and Luke. <laughs> I'm saying that's how fickle it is because of what Bill Walton did, nobody else can really touch. No, yeah, I get it. I think Luke is kind of holding him back a little bit. But just like barely, just like barely, not a lot not to say that he wasn't great or anything, but it's the kind of same thing with Marcus and Chris Johnson. They both have national titles, but Chris's personal doesn't live up to Marcus's personal. Whereas I think the other two, Henry, Mike, and then Stan and Kevin Love, I think they, they kind of go tit for tat with each other. They balance each other's out. They equal each other a little better as far as personal and some teams. Yeah, those would be some crazy two-on-two games. <laughs> and their primes, if you could get like, uh, what are those like, like uh, holographs and stuff? Because obviously, uh, Bill Walton, as we've seen, I've seen him walk around doing broadcast, but he is not playing. Uh, he's not uh, moving so well. But I'm just saying, like in those primes, those two on two games would be sick. <laughs> yeah, I, it'd be super tough. But if they were playing in their prime, one, it's hard to stop the the love the, the love combo. I honestly think if it's a real two-on-two in the prime, it may be – well, I like Gary Payton just defensively, but I think I think Rick and Ben Barry might be too much. Oh, yeah. I think Rick, I think Rick Barry would be a lot for someone to stop in his prime. Just a lot on the ar- offensive arsenal at that time period. We're talking, you know, 60s. But at that time period, that's, a, that's not a bad, you know, ars- offensive package. And the fact that he was that dominant, like I said, Amon, and never went to the NCAA tournament. That's insane. Yeah, 30 a game. So, you never know. But Michael and Clay. Oh, in general? Yeah, I'm going with Mike and Clay. <laughs> uh, in general. I'll, I'll put that out there. I was leaving the pack, but no, no. There's no, there's no stopping Mike and Clay. Oh, wow. Wow. All right. Well, it would be fun. That's two lottery picks. Got a number one pick. And Clay can, is probably will go down as unanimous top five shooter ever. Oh, yeah. Well, but I'm saying in their college years, I mean, Mike Bibby, again, as a freshman, he was shooting lights out too. But I get, believe me, I haven't seen Clay play. I'm, I'm with you, man. It, it, would be, it would be a fun virtual tournament for us to put on. So you got to get, peop- get, uh, get your awesome people on that. Get us a virtual tournament. That'll be unreal, though, man. 
I would love to have some of these guys as guests. I'll work on that as well. Oh, absolutely. Well, I'll work on Mike Bibby because, I mean, I've had him on my yeah, shows please, before, That too. would be great. That would be great. But that being said, Ahmad, it's been fun. Episode two in the books, Believe in Pac-12 Basketball. Again, you can check it out anywhere you get your podcasts. Again, download us. You can hit me up on Twitter at Diablos. Yes, I'm a Sun Devil 00. And at A Starks 3. Yes, yes, A Starks 3. A Starks 3. Hit a mod up there on Twitter if you want to know what it's like to be a phenomenal guard that can shoot threes. Actually, I, I could shoot threes. I just didn't play any defense, so like I told you. But, uh, but yeah, hit us up on Twitter. You got anything? We'll be back at it every week here on the Believe Podcast Network. So for Amos Starks, I'm Michael Caratino. We're going to get out of here, and we'll, we'll uh, have more Pac-12 basketball coming up for you guys soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. 
Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.